It's a pleasure to be diving into the word a little bit more with you today. And before we do that, why don't we join together and just reach out to God, knowing that he has already reached out to us. So let's take his hand and and, uh, join together in some prayer. Heavenly Father, we just quiet our hearts before you, and we ask that you come and speak through this story that many of us have heard many times. Um, We ask that you would pour your spirit out on us anew, and that you would take our hearts in a direction that they weren't expecting to go today. We ask that you would use this story of uh, miracle to show us what it is that you have for us as your children, as your followers who follow along humbly behind you in life. And this morning in particular, as we talk about what you had for the disciples on that very early morning, we ask that you would come and speak, that you would come and refresh us and strengthen us. We ask that you would bind us together, just like the disciples huddled together in that boat and that you would prepare us to be sent out, just like Peter was called out. So we ask that you would come and speak through this word and renew us and mold us and shape us in your image, for that is why you died and rose again. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. Well, it's an honor to add my voice to the word that's already been spoken and expounded this morning and such good things have already been said. And so what we're going to do is look together at Matthew chapter 14. And if you've got a smartphone, if you've got an iPad, or if you're one of those diehard workers who carries your computer around on Sunday morning, if you'd like to open that up or a good old fashioned Bible to Matthew chapter 14, I want to challenge you to have the scripture in front of you, particularly today. Now, we ask this every single Sunday here at Trinity South Naperville, that you actually pull your sword and start to sharpen it on Sunday morning with us and get the scripture in front of your eyes. But I really want to encourage you to do that, especially this morning as we look back uh, on the scripture. As we're looking at Matthew chapter 14, what you want to do when you study scripture is think of scripture like peanut butter. Now, peanut butter is okay on a spoon if you get a spoonful of peanut butter and just eat it, right? Now, some of you are making faces like, yeah, I can do that. Other people are like, ew, that's gross. But peanut butter is even better on bread, isn't it? And if you were to put your peanut butter on one piece of bread, that's half a sandwich, isn't it? But then you want to put another piece of bread on top of that, and then you have a peanut butter sandwich. The same is with Scripture. If you're looking at a focused Scripture for the day, you always want to look at the Scripture that comes before it and the Scripture that comes after it so that you can get a context for what's being spoken. And what I want to draw your attention to this morning is the feeding of the 5,000 that took place right in front of the episode that we're looking at today with Peter walking on water. What you'll notice at the end of the section on uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 is in verse 21 of Matthew 14. The scripture says the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. If you look back up through the story, the disciples were busy that day. The disciples were deployed by Jesus to feed 5,000 men. Most of those men had wives and children with them. So we estimate that in that story, there was about 12 to 14,000 people that the 12 disciples together with Jesus were responsible for feeding that day. Remember, Jesus told them, you go and feed them. 
And then he did that miracle with the loaves and fishes, right? So they had just gotten done cleaning up after 12 to 14,000 people where there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers left over and they were exhausted. The disciples could not have been refreshed after that activity. Can you imagine doing 12 loads of laundry? After your 12 loads of laundry and hauling them up and down from wherever you do the laundry, you're not ready to refresh and go out and take a run, right? You're, you're kind of tired. Maybe you need a break. Can you imagine making 12 dinners or meals in a row? These guys were tired. And what does Jesus do? Instead of Jesus giving them a break, the very first word in the section is what? Immediately. Just like Tony said a minute ago, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus hung back and took care of business. He dismissed the crowd, sent them all away to their homes, but he sent the disciples immediately into the next phase of their work day, which was in the evening. He sent them out into the boat and he instructed them to row to the other side of the lake. But the difficult part of this, beyond the fact that they had just gotten finished feeding 12,000 to 14,000 people, is that they were rowing on the lake against what? Against the wind. Now, everybody knows if you've been out on a boat before, especially if the boat has sails, that it's always better for the boat to go with the wind, right? So Jesus sent them out there purposefully to row against the wind. Now, why would Jesus do this to them? Does he have a sick sense of humor where at the end of a very long work day, he wants them to go out and in their exhaustion, try to make it to the other side where, by the way, he did not choose to go with them at that time. He hung back and prayed and rested while they did what? Worked their rear ends off. So they were out in the boat rowing to the other side. And the scripture talks about how the wind kicked up so hard the wind was against them and they were rowing against the wind. And as they rowed, they rowed all night long. Now, when's the last time you pulled an all nighter after a long work day? Let's say you have a little baby at home who doesn't sleep after you've been up working for 12 hours. Imagine what that's like with physical labor attached to it. You probably would be a little emotionally compromised in the boat, wouldn't you? You probably would already be a little bit upset or a little bit let down that Jesus was not there with you. Because by the way, Jesus had calmed the storm earlier in Matthew when he was out in the boat with them sleeping. That story took place before the story we're studying today. But on this particular occasion, Jesus didn't even bother to go with them. And the Bible says that as they were out there struggling, they struggled all night long. And then we got, they got to the end of the night, right before the sun broke at dawn. They were probably pushed beyond their physical limitations and to the point of almost hallucinating. They were hungry. They were tired. They were at their wits end. They were at the end of their rope. They had no more left to give. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up walking on the water. Maybe they thought that they were hallucinating, or as the scripture says, maybe they thought that they saw a ghost. What it is, is it's a story that teaches us about trust. It's a story that teaches us about faith, but it's a story that is informed by the circumstances in the story. 
You see, the disciples were led into a situation that seemed impossible. They were rowing across a lake that they should have been able to row across. But that night, the natural circumstances around them kept them from completing that job. So the question becomes for us, just like it is for the disciples, in the boat, rowing across the lake, not making it to the other side. The question for, for us becomes just like for them. Are we ready to trust God with our lives? The disciples at this point were still new to this whole Christianity thing, but they've had enough experience with Jesus working miracles where they could have trusted him in the moment. Now, let's give them some credit. They did have enough trust to get in the boat in the first place, right? They had enough trust to start rowing against the wind in the first place. They had enough trust to do this without Jesus in the boat. But what it causes us to do, if we back away from the scripture for a moment and place ourselves in the story, what it causes us to do is to take inventory of how ready we are like they may or may not have been to trust Jesus in the circumstance. So the question for us today is how ready are we to trust God with our life? Do you find yourself in life hiding in the boat? God has called you out into something. He's called you forward into something. He's called you to grow in a direction. But you look at whatever that circumstance is, maybe it's raising a family member in the Christian faith in your household. Maybe it's verbally sharing your faith with somebody at work. Maybe it's not shooting the bird to people who cut you off in Chicago traffic. Maybe it's choosing to pay your taxes appropriately this year for the first time in a while. Maybe it's choosing not to say something in response in anger, but instead holding back and being at peace with God, even with another person verbally coming against you. Maybe you look at the life change that God has called you in and you're hiding in the boat from it. Or maybe, second option is maybe you're peering over the edge and starting to trust Jesus with how to respond and how to be. Or maybe you're at the point where you've grown to where you're ready, like Peter, to step out over the edge into the unknown and to trust God with how you're going to respond to your life. Or maybe like many of us, you feel like you are sinking like a rock. And you know, at any given point during your faith walk and during your growth in Jesus, you may be in any one of these phases. You may be where you know what God has called you to do or how he's called you to speak or how he's called you to grow and respond. And you may respond back to him in any number of the ways that are on the screen here, hiding in the boat, looking over the edge, stepping out or sinking like a rock. But in any of these cases, we've all been in a situation where we felt like we were underwater, like we were underwater and in need of rescue. This is where Peter found himself in the story after initially responding in faith. And as we look at that story and realize that it is the great I am who called Peter out, we see ourselves in that story and see ourselves understanding exactly what happens when we're in the point of struggle in life, when we're um, in a mystery of struggle, when we're in a cloud of struggle and we don't understand what's going on or how we're going to respond. But we know, having lived life enough, 
that we're, when we're in the middle of struggle and in the middle of difficult circumstances, it's hard for us to recognize God at work, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that Jesus is there, that he's still in command of the wind and the waves. And then at the point of struggle, we forget about how he rescued us last time. How last time he did something for us or in our lives that reassured us that he was there and that he was growing us and had his hand out in front of us, reached out in front of us to pull us up out of those circumstances. It's hard for us to recognize Jesus sometimes when he is approaching us through the medium, through the mode of struggle and difficulty. And the idea becomes this. As we grow in faith and as faith develops in us, God calls us to look for Christ in the middle of struggle, difficulty, and pain with expectation. Now, I want you to open your heart and take this in because this is where the power of God really drops on us. A lot of times we are tempted to think that Christianity is cool and goes along and has a place in our life until the moment of struggle. And in the moment of struggle, it's up to us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and face that struggle and to go through that struggle, maybe reaching out to God if we remember him or feel like it. But here's what growth and maturity in the faith says. Growth and maturity in the faith says that Christ is in command of that situation as you go into the struggle. And in fact, what's even cooler than that is that God allowed that struggle to come into your life so that he could call you out in the middle of it. And as you grow and as you grow in your faith and become more mature, you begin to understand that as struggle in life comes, Jesus is standing there getting ready to call you out in the middle of it. And the way he does that is with love, nurturing you. God never takes the opportunity to point a finger down at you and say, you bad person, I'm going to make you suffer. God doesn't do that. God comes out to where you are in the middle of the struggle. Why? Because he let you go through that struggle in the first place. And the reason he did that was so that he could meet you there in the middle of it. And that could be the major reason why you've entered into that struggle. Now go back and take inventory in your life as you've gone through struggles and as you've reached into the sky and prayed to God and said, God, why are you letting me go through this thing? Reach back and do inventory as to the struggles you've gone through. You might see evidences and hints of God at work in them that perhaps you haven't seen before. I want to share this scripture with you from Colossians 3. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Remember, when we trust in Jesus... The Bible says that we identify with his death. His death is in us and we are in it so that when he rises again from the grave, who follows him? We do. So death doesn't have any power over us anymore. And that's not based on what we do. That's based on what? On what he has done for us, right? So the scripture says in that light, since you've been raised with Christ, Past tense, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And it says, as a fact, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And it says, encouraging us toward the future when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
This is foreshadowing out to the second coming of Jesus when he comes back again on the clouds and redeems all of the earth and all of humankind. And those who trust in him will spend eternity with him forever, right? But sometimes we forget that we are in Christ. We live submersed in Christ, surrounded by him, approached by him, in close contact with him every single day. And even if we don't feel like he's out there and something scary is coming, maybe he is in fact at work in that something scary. Maybe he is calling us to trust him, to have faith in him, to know that he still commands the wind and the waves, knowing that he is out there looking for us, out there walking toward us, out there getting ready to rescue us again, but not because he has lost control of the circumstances of life, because he's using them to grow you. He's never out of control of the circumstances of our lives. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's good news. That no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the situation is, Jesus is always there showing himself to be true. And the idea becomes this. He can and will allow us to become uncomfortable. When we become uncomfortable in life, that is God at work. And when that happens in that moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to trust him. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. When we don't trust in God in the middle of struggle, does it mean he turns his back on us? No, he never turns his back. He will simply let us go through that struggle as long as we can, fighting against the wind and the waves, and at the right moment, he will appear. Remember what the story says. When Peter was pulled up out of the water, where did they go? They didn't walk back to the other side of the shore, right? What happened? Jesus got in the boat with Peter. And the Bible says the wind died down. And then in other gospels, it says they were immediately to the other side of the shore. Where the disciples probably were questioning Jesus. Why would you have put us through this struggle all night long? But maybe they began to know Jesus well enough to know that there was a lesson in that boat for them that night. And in fact, maybe they went through that circumstance and that struggle so that you and I could read it 2,000 years later and be encouraged in the midst of our own struggles, whether we're in them now or we'll face them in the future. Look at what the scripture says in James. If any of you lacks wisdom about your life, if any of you lacks wisdom about the nature of suffering and about the opportunity of struggle, then ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God will never hold it against you that you don't get it. But God doesn't leave you there. He doesn't leave you simply doubting. God calls you into faith more and more faith. When you ask, the scripture says, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Sound familiar? 
It's the idea that God is calling us forward and is placing Jesus in front of us who never stops pursuing, who works in struggle, who achieves his objective by always being there. Christ will always reach down for you. No matter whether you are standing on the water or ankle deep in the water or waist deep in the water or nose deep in the water or all the way under, he will always be there with his hand out reaching for you. Do you see the struggles of your life in that way? Think about the last time somebody you loved was sick and in the hospital. Think about the last time you were in the hospital. Think about the last time you were financially destitute and had trouble just paying your bills. Think about the last time you were lonely and felt like you had no one. Think about the last time you were at a dead end at work and felt like you were never going to be anything at work. Think about those moments and think about the idea that God allowed that situation so that your faith could grow. Think about what it's like to see your life in that way with new eyes, with a new perspective. And then think about the person next to you or the person in your life who's in those circumstances. And what an amazing blessing it would be for that person to know that God was in control, even for them. Even if they consider themselves unlovable by God, the Bible says something different. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have what? eternal life. And that's even the toughest character amongst us. The idea looks like this for us. The idea is that God will lead us into the uncomfortable. He will lead us into a situation we were, where we are not at peace so that he can show us that his relationship with us is not transactional. It's not the kind of thing where we're in the midst of suffering and we can say to God, God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll trust in you. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want a relationship with you where you pay your spiritual dues in order to get blessings back from him. He wants a life where you're in relationship with him, where you have a relationship with him like you would have with a perfect parent because that's who he is. He is our father. He is the one who came to the earth through his son. He doesn't want you transactionally waiting for him to act when you do spiritual good things. He wants you to understand and realize that he is blessing you and pouring out himself on you no matter how you act, no matter how good you are or bad you are no matter how much you're walking on the surface of the water or sinking, he is always there. He is always loving. He is always reaching and he's always rescuing. That is his nature and who he is. And he leads you into situations that look impossible so that he can create a sense of the miraculous around you. So for example, if you have grown to a place where you understand that when the next struggle in your life comes and you're having difficulty with that, but you trust that God is in control, 
then there should be somebody to come along in your life who's not at that place yet. Somebody who's sinking in life and doesn't have that faith yet. Somebody that you can encourage in that moment and reach out to and say, hey, can I just pray for you for 20 or 30 seconds? Just lift you up before God because I know he's got this. Can I just share that with you now? And when we do that, it gives someone in need a glimpse of how God really works. The God who works in the midst of storms to understand in us what we need so that he can meet that need and be there with us. And when he does that, the miraculous happens. We are again revived. Our faith grows again. We grow again and then people around us start to grow. This is what he has led us to. This is the life that he's given us, a life of relationship with God that is working through the impossible and working through the miraculous. Now think about your own life. Do you see the miracle that God is working in you and through you? Do you see that in your life? Do you see how God works in the storms of your life? And do you see how God is working in the lives and the storms of others' lives? Do you see the potential there for God to be known by people who don't know him? That comes from you experiencing struggle and pain and disappointment and being rescued again, being pulled up again to the surface by a Jesus who will never abandon you, who will never leave you outside the boat to sink. Think about it. Think about your life. Think about it. the idea that no matter where you are, in the boat, hiding, looking over the edge, stepping over the edge, walking on the water and sinking, or walking on the water in triumph. No matter where you are, Jesus is there in that. And he will never turn his back and walk away. He will never abandon you to the wind and the waves. He will always be there. And in fact, he's allowed that storm because he loves you. This is what leads us to a new kind of worship. Now here at Trinity South Naperville, we're blessed with an amazing group of musicians who lead us in worship music. They would be amongst the first to tell you that worship is not confined to a song. In fact, it was beautiful that a song was read earlier today because we can see what worship looks like in the wind and the waves of life. Worship music reminds us that God loves us and reaches a place in our hearts where only music can. Our musicians would tell you that worship extends beyond the singing of music. Worship extends into the everyday life where we walk, to the everyday life where we struggle, and the everyday life where Jesus is in command and never relinquishes command of the wind and the waves. Think about your life in that context. Your life was made for worship, the kind of worship that says, since it's you, Jesus, call me out into the unknown. And wherever that is and whatever that circumstance may be, I'm going to bumble over the side and come to you. 
And if I sink like a rock, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to be there. That is the life that God has destined for you. That is the walk that he has made for you. It's a walk of worship where we ascribe God his worth every single day by how we live and by how we walk in his grace and in his glory. Have you ever thought about your life in that way? Have you ever thought about how your life is in the moments of storm, a function of Jesus growing you to be like him? That's a fact. And God reminds us of that every single time we read this story. But never forget, he is always in command of the wind and the waves. So when you find yourself in the moment afraid of them and being human, remember that Jesus is there. Not 90% of the time, not even 99%, but how much? Every single time. So join me in prayer and let's stand and respond to the message today just by singing, remembering that he is in control and that he loves us and leads us there. Heavenly Father, we ask that you indeed would continue to grow faith in us. And as we follow you into the wind and waves, walking in situations that seem unstable and sinkable, we know that you are in command of the miraculous. And we know that you will do great things and that you have done great things in us and through us. So you will do them again. God, Peter, in that moment when he was tempted to not follow you and not believe you, he instead trusted you and said, since it is you, God, call me out onto the wind and the waves, into the wind and waves. And Jesus responded in kind. Father, grow in us the Holy Spirit's power to do the same in the moment of temptation so that we leave despair behind and trust you in the moment where we are. We ask this in your name and trust you now with it. Now grow faith in us as we sing. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.